Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Hope that you're doing well. Welcome to New City Matthews. Uh, my name is Nick Schreiber. I'm the care pastor here at New City. And um, let me also extend a welcome to any of you that are visiting for the first time. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, and to all the rest of you, we're glad that you're here as well. And I do have just a little bit of family news for us this week. Um, this past week, uh, we were able to wrap up the, the School Spirit a Book Fair project that we as a church has, have, have, have stepped into. And we were so excited to be able to get back into the schools and, and, and get to partner with our two partner schools, Ottawa Elementary School and Greenway Park Elementary. And we're so glad that the kids could actually be there to pick out their books. And so over 1,500 students were able to choose five books for them to take home that could be theirs that would help motivate and propel them as they head into the summer thinking about the literacy decline that happens sometimes in the summers but because of your donations so thank you very much for all that you've given um, and your countless uh, volunteer man hours we were able to come alongside those those two partner schools and, and, and create an amazing amazing gift for them um, and the notes from the students and the, the teachers continue to come in. I was actually, I actually heard this one story where a, a student shared with his teacher that they were so grateful that, that, we were, that he was able to get these books. But as he was sharing that, he realized that not every other school or every, not every other student gets the same experience. And so it kind of made him that much more grateful and kind of had this, this, this level of compassion. It's like, oh. Not everybody gets this. Um, so we're just, just grateful. So thank you again for all that you contributed. Um, if you still would love to donate to that, you're st there's still time. The fund will be open for a few more days, and you can go to newcity.us give, and you can find the drop-down that says book fair. Hey, we're going to be uh, in the book of Ephesians this morning. So if you want, you can start making your way there. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter Six, um, And so we've made it to the last chapter of the book. Way to go. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians as a, as a church for the last few months. Um, and again, you can, you can start making your way there or, or, or pulling it up on your phone. But before we move any further, I'd love to pray for us and with us. Lord, thank you so much for, for new mercies today. Thank you, Father, for our testimony that we can say, God, that you have awakened us, you've given us new life, you've given us forgiveness and grace. Father, thank you for your roles in our lives, the way you transform us, the way you shape us, the way you teach us. And we pray that, God, that you would use the next few minutes to do that in us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to ask me to describe a scene from my high school days that encapsulated that season of my life, so my attitudes, my behaviors, the way I lived, um, uh, the scene that I'd point you to is what I affectionately uh, come to call the chili fight between my mom and dad when I was a senior in high school. Now, it, it might not be the type of chili fight that you're thinking of. Uh, there was no chili flying. Uh, but while at a church event, someone asked my mom what our family was going to be doing that afternoon, and she just responded, hey, I'm going to go home, nothing much, we're going to make some chili and have, have a meal as a family, and so forth. Well, I was standing nearby and retorted, uh, chili? I'm not going to eat chili, I'm going to wait to eat something good at my restaurant, because I worked as a waiter that year as a, at, at a restaurant, and man what our words can do sometimes, right? And so, you know, embarrassing and dishonoring your mom is never a good idea. 
And so when we got home, my mom informed me that she wanted me to, to not just eat with the family, but to make the chili as well. Um, and I told her that there was no way that I was going to make that chili and eat with the family. Now, my mom is usually not a violent woman. Um, she's actually the opposite of that. But the gauntlet had been dropped, and she told me that in no certain terms that I was going to make that chili. And then when I refused again, um, she picked up a broom and started to chase me around the kitchen table. Uh, and so, and so uh, after she chased me one way, because I was a little quicker than her, I just moved around the other way and ran out the house. Do you ever think back to scenes from your childhood or your adolescence and think, what, what in the world was I doing? And maybe you've had some chilly fight moments yourself. Or maybe it wasn't years ago, though, Maybe you think back to just this week and something you said or did to your mom or dad or parents. Maybe it's something that you said or did to your kids and you wonder, what in the world was I doing? Or to spin the scenario in another direction, do you ever find yourself at home with your family and one moment things are all fine and then a moment later, one person's crying, another person is yelling, another person is saying, be quiet. One kid has their hands on their ears, and all craziness has broke out. And you're thinking, what in the world is happening right now? Now, not to totally sideswipe the direction here, though, maybe it's not about your home or family, but it's about something at work. You find yourself disconnected or bitter at your boss or your team, or your tasks, or the projects you're working on, or you feel yourself cutting corners, or you feel yourself lackadaisical with your effort, or you're talking behind your boss's back, and you, you find yourself also wondering, what in the world is happening? Because that's not who I want to be. I bring up these scenes, scenes from family and scenes from workplace, because these are the realms that our passage this morning speaks into. And I would say that some of the trickiest places to allow Christ to reign is in our home and in our workplaces. And praise God that he takes time, that Paul takes time to speak into these most tangible and central areas of our lives. I mean, think about it. Your home and your workplace are probably the two most important areas of your life. You spend the most time and energy there. You have the most crucial relationships there. And both of those areas serve to shape and form you the most. Well, how does Christ inform these two primary areas of your life. And sadly, sometimes there's a gap between my faith here in church and this space and my life there. And Paul helps us think in this way this morning. He speaks into these two primary relationship areas of home and he speaks to parents or he speaks to children and parents and he'll speak into work where he'll actually address slaves and masters, or as we'll come to see and we talk about that section, we'll come to see that he's talking about those who work under a boss or those who work as a boss. But in all this, Paul and what he's doing, he's calling us to see that ultimately Jesus wants to live in our home and at our work. And that's our bottom line this morning. Jesus wants to live in our home and at our work. He wants to live and reign at those two primary addresses in our lives. And if Jesus doesn't inform those areas, then who are we kidding as we seek to live and honor him? Now, before we read the passage together, let me just offer a couple, a couple more things by way of setup. There's one passage that, 
that one passage that becomes the header verse or one verse that becomes a header of this whole section in Ephesians is, five, is Ephesians 5.21. And it says this, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So everything in this in the section flowing from, from 521 into our section now to five to chapter six verse nine is headed with that that calling for us. So everything and how we're instructed to live in these different categories flows from this idea of submitting to one another out of deep respect, out of honor for Jesus. And so as I enter into any relationship, any sphere, I'm entering in being willing and ready to surrender my rights potentially. Or if you remember, to bridle my strength, which is, that's the idea of the word submission, is bridling your strength for the benefit of the relationship, for the benefit of the other person. And, and so I enter into every relationship with that posture. Now, obviously, these things don't get lived out perfectly. There's still a bunch of brokenness in all of it. But Paul's intent is to address these relevant, these down-to-earth relationships and show how, how the gospel, how Jesus transforms all of them and how he shapes all of them. So with that, I'd love to read the passage. So if you would, once you stand with me, and if you're there, if you have a copy of the scriptures or you can follow along on the screens, but let me read these nine verses from chapter six. This is the word of the Lord to us. Verse one says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them as sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not, or don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Uh, you guys can be seated. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, as we read, you've probably noticed the different categories of different relationships that Paul is speaking into, that the give and take between children and parents, slaves and masters. And for the rest of the time this morning, I'd like to simply just walk through and spend a few minutes in each of these categories. So category one, Paul gives instructions to children and he says in, in verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Now, now, parents, if you're sitting with your kids this morning, don't elbow, don't give nudges, don't glance at them because Paul's going to address us next. But the term children here, uh, because of the context of discipline and instruction that comes later, is, is addressing most likely pre-adult children, probably those who are in adolescence, unmarried, still under the care of their parents, but those who were old enough to understand the relationship to the Lord and their commitments that flowed from, from him. And what's the instruction? Well, it's to obey. Well, actually, Paul references two words, to obey and to honor, and they're tied to each other. To obey is to honor, and to honor is to obey. And actually, what's interesting is that because we're all children in this room, no matter the age, in some way, this passage is applicable for all of us. 
Although as we get older, the focus probably moves more towards honoring than the specific idea of obeying. But nevertheless, the call, the call here is for children to obey. Now I get it. Uh, children, kids, that, that word is not a very popular word. And a lot of that's because at times it's tossed around bluntly, it's tossed around as a deal sealer, or sadly it could be laced with threats. And, and, and Paul here, let me just say this, Paul is, not as, Paul is assuming that parents here are pursuing parenting in a godly way, or at least striving to lead their children in that context. So the passage is not calling children to be subservient or to be domineered by their parents. But so, the children, children, the call is to be obedient and to honor your parents no matter how much you may, may not feel like it, no matter how much you have the energy for it or how unfair you may think it is to make chili or to do whatever they ask you to do. But what's the motivation? And that's the key here. What's the motivation in the passage? Well, Paul actually gives three things. He kind of, he layers his case. And he says, first, obey because you belong to the Lord. That's the first thing. Second, he says, for this is the right thing to do. This is the way God set it up. This is the way he's ordered the relationships. And third, because it flows from the command. You know, that Ten Commandment, the, 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 the command that's there that's late, that comes with the promise that if you obey this, you'd flourish. And society would flourish if children obey their parents. Three motivations. But, you, but please see this. They all flow from the first. We live this way because we belong to the Lord. The spiritual motivation for your obedience is, is linked to your relationship with Jesus. Jesus now shapes my life. Jesus is asking me to live this way, and obedience to your parents is an opportunity for you to love and honor and to please your parents, but also Jesus. And so in each of these categories, I'm going to kind of give a statement. And so when we live this way, we say, we're saying, when I obey, I honor Christ. And so children, kids in this room, if you're in this place and you're in the season with your parents, and I know it's hard, but man, you, we need to continue to, to be able to see, all right, what they ask me to do, the way I listen to them, the way I respond to them, and it's all about, ultimately, it does show love and honor to them, and I need to step into that, but it also, ultimately, also shows honor to Jesus, because I belong to him, and he's called me to this new way of life. Um, Parents will ask you to do things. It's inevitable. It's part of a family. It's part of who we are. Um, but, but because of that, we need to prepare for it. And we remember, all right, let me do this in a way that honors Jesus. So that's the first category. The second is this. Paul gives instructions to fathers or parents. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, Paul is addressing fathers here as the representative head of the household, but it's appropriate here to, to broaden Paul's instructions to parents in general. In the first century Roman world, fathers had absolute power over their families, and they were the ones responsible for the education and for the discipline of their children. So you can imagine why Paul is addressing them. But as we know today in our culture, in our context, uh, both parents or either parent shares these responsibilities. And Paul gives two primary instructions to parents. And he says this. He says, Don't, do not provoke and bring them up. Do not provoke and bring them up. Now, do not provoke does not mean never, 
never do anything they don't like or, or that they don't want to do or that they react in complaining or anger towards. What this phrase is hitting at is this idea, that, is this idea of excessively severe discipline or unreasonably harsh demands or inconsistent or unfair rules or, or, or listen to this one, constant criticism or humiliation or by displaying kind of these gross insensitivities to your child's fears, to their weaknesses, or to their needs. And so if I were to make it simpler, the two categories I think in this way is this, is that this provoking happens when we overwhelm them with, with excessive or unreasonable demands, or we crush their spirits with constant criticism and humiliation. And because of the way we treat them, then it moves them to anger or to rebel or to feel crushed. Sadly, this is a little convicting because as my kids get older and they're able to be more articulate, I see some of my own sarcasm, my own ridicule, some of that high school Nick coming back out where I just see flippant responses. And I would say, hey, this is, this is be careful here that I'm not speaking that, that would go anything against their personhood or their potential or who, who God's making them. And instead, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Discipline has this idea of training by correction. Giving clear guidance and correction given when something wrong has occurred. Instruction has this idea of intentionally teaching them and showing them the things of God. So this instruction would be like Deuteronomy 6 where, where, where the law commands, hey, what, you got to talk about the Lord everywhere you go, at home. you got to talk about God in the way that all well, that he's done for us, Psalm 78, you know, the, the next-gen passage. Hey, you need to talk about the goodness of God so that as they grow up, they will know and be able to proclaim his goodness. Talk about and teach about Jesus in such a real way that as they get older and Jesus comes across their path, that they go, I'm going to follow and live for him, instruction. Discipline never feels good in the moment. Kids, children, I know it. Even for us adults, discipline never feels good. But discipline is an act of love. We see that when, when the Lord says, hey, he disciplines those whom he loves. And so we, we model that as parents. But healthy discipline always keeps the goal in mind. And the goal is always growth. The goal is always training. And to prepare our kids to be ready to live in the right, le- right way, to live independently. Now, I will say this, parents, and I'm, I need to hear this too. I challenge you not to discipline your kids in those moments when you're annoyed or when your, your pride has been injured or when you're, you just know your temper is flaring. I mean, it's hard to keep the goal of discipline in mind when those things are, are running hot. So instruction is more active. Discipline is more reactive. And I would say this, that remember, instruction, uh, you don't do that alone. You do need the church, right? You surround our kids in the church because it, it, it takes a church to raise kids and we surround them with godly voices of influence and godly mentors and and parents, I know this is not easy. Honestly, I would say that every one of us, has a, if, if you're a parent in the room, would go, I am not doing this right or well. And I would just encourage you to, to, to note one of the phrases on the screen where it says, "Listen, look at that last phrase, the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So the Lord ultimately stands behind and above our instruction as the main instructor of our children. And as I think about my parenting, let me think about it as an attempt to model and display 
Christ. Because if it comes from the Lord, so let me display the Lord. Let me point them to him. And so Paul is challenging his Christian parents here to be different from those of the surrounding society. The parent, not from your power, but the parent from your gentleness, from your, your presence with them, from your love for them, and point them to Jesus. And so that's the statement I was thinking about for this section because it comes from the Lord is that when I live this way, when I parent this way, I want my parenting to display Christ. And so the way I point them to Jesus in those mistakes, the way I preach the gospel to them over and over again, the way I am gentle and humble, the way I do show my own need for the gospel points them to Jesus because when we point to the gospel, we point to him. And so I, as a parent, constantly need help, and I want to model that for my kids, right? I want them to see that. The third category, Paul gives instructions to slaves or those who work for a boss. He says in verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. And he goes on to, to describe in these four verses instructions for how they ought to work. But I, I want us to lean in here for a moment because although we're going to talk about work, we need to talk about the issue that Paul is addressing slaves. And this passage should rightly ping your spirit and cause you to go, what's going on here? Because this, this is a challenging passage. Now, I would say that it's not challenging because the issue of slavery is challenging or a gray area. No, scripture, scripture and biblical th theology is clear. Slavery is evil. It is sinful. It runs contrary to God's heart. It strikes at the fact that all mankind is created in his image. So, no, it's not challenging, not because we're trying to figure out the topic, but because we're trying to understand what Paul is doing here when we wish he would maybe be a little more clear on slavery's evils. And we also know that this passage is a, it has been a stumbling block passage because we know that this passage has sadly been manipulated and misapplied throughout history, especially in our American history, to control and abuse those enslaved. And it's caused generations of pain and hardship. But because it's here in God's word, we need to talk about it and we need to think into it. And I believe that digging into the context will help us see what Paul is doing here. Paul is writing within a context where slavery was integrated into every aspect of the Roman Empire and the Ephesian culture. It was a predominant part of society. Research has shown that there were upwards of 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire in that day. And some even project that close to half the population of Ephesus was in some type of slavery, which is crazy to think about. And yet, as the gospel was moving through the Roman Empire, and it was transforming the lives of all people, it was transforming entire households of whom slaves were considered a part. And Paul, as he was writing to the churches of Ephesus, is, is once again envisioning the community of believers there. And he does something unprecedented in that he addresses those who found themselves in slavery. But listen, Paul is not endorsing slavery here. He's acknowledging it, he's writing into the reality of it, and he's attempting to offer encouragement to those who are living within that broken system. That's his goal. The concept of sweeping abolition, which would have been so radical and foreign within the context of his time, wasn't probably on his mind. But what was on his mind were those Christians in that realm that were sitting in that room and how Christ was transforming these relationships and how Christ was creating this new humanity 
And so he writes to them. And can you imagine what value is given to them because he does? Or what about this? What if he doesn't address them? What if he doesn't address masters? What about that void that would be there because of that? Or, or what if he purely focused in this passage on, on employer-employee? Well, there'd be this whole population within that context, within the body of Christ, that would be like, well, where do I fit? But Paul addresses slaves, and he points their eyes to how to live and work, even within this broken system. And by doing so, not only does he encourage them, but he also lays the underpinnings for equality. He says, you have the same Christ, you have the same master. He, he lays the underpinnings for justice. Treat them in this way, which, which gives them rights and which then layers, gives layers of justice. He creates underpinnings of brotherhood, where in his writings he talks about, hey, receive them as even better than, than, than you would as a slave, but treat them as, receive them as a brother. The gospel and the work of God always moves towards freedom. And the Bible is full of great liberation stories. I mean, Moses uh, was a forerunner of Jesus, right? And great liberators such as William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., and were greatly motivi- motivated by their, their Christian faith and the gospel. And many Christians are today as well as they continue to work to end modern slavery around the world. So, all right, well, I know I've camped out here for a while, Partly for clarity's sake, but also, also because it's not every day we speak into this. And I wanted to make sure we, we sat there for just a second. But the parallel for us today in our context, I believe for us as we look at it, is the workplace. The focus is for you and I as we look through the passage is, is how, to, how to understand how to work in those situations where we found ourselves under a boss or in situations where there's a power imbalance. And I don't mean necessarily that in a negative way. It's just, it's just in a very real way. If you work under a boss, there is a power imbalance. So how do, I, how do I learn how to work here? And for time's sake, I'll just point to a few things. First, we see that Paul points their eyes to Christ as the one they work for. You see it all through the passage. Serve them as you would serve Christ. Work as though you were working for the Lord, not for man. And do you see that, that, that Christ, or the Lord, is mentioned in each of these four verses in this section? Paul is emphatically directing their eyes to Jesus as their true master. There's this, this clear-sightedness to Jesus that, that it's him that transforms our motivations and our perspective, even while we may, not, may be right in the middle of environments that are tedious or toxic or harsh. And the phrase in this section I want us to focus in on is this, is I ultimately am working for Christ. And when working for Christ, and working for Christ transforms the way we approach our work, to put it in today's terms, that means I'm going to resist cutting corners, I'm going to work with respect and integrity, not just in eye service when the boss is around. So when I'm at work, I'm, I'm, I'm working, <laughs> and when I'm at work, I'm working, <laughs> I'm honest, I'm trying to do my best. I'm going to work wholeheartedly, not in bitterness, because if I'm working in bitterness, it probably indicates who I'm working for. And when I'm ultimately working for Christ, I work knowing that he sees me and that he will reward me, no matter my status or position, no matter my job or project. So although I work for a boss or an employer, or, or if I'm a student, I, I sit under a teacher there is one above them even that motivates and shapes how I work ultimately. 
The final category, Paul gives instructions to masters or those who work as the boss. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. Now, here's a few key phrases. There's a, there's a few key phrases in this, this, these verse, or this verse, but I believe the major one is that, is that phrase, in the same way. Treat those under you in the same way, in the same way that you want to be treated. So how do you want to be treated? Well, with respect, kindness, gentleness, patience. I want to be treated and valued as a person and not just as an asset. I want my... I want to be, I want to felt like I'm seen. I want my potential and my flourishing to be thought of. Well, those of you who work as bosses or those who have people under you, treat them in those ways. But also, here's something else. In the same way, I think is a reference back to Ephesians 5.21. So treat them in the same way that was set up in that, in that verse. It was to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So... I'm a boss, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader, so I'm supposed to submit, I'm supposed to surrender my rights, I'm supposed to, to, to bridle my own strength. Yeah, in the same way, yes, that's what's here. We, we have that posture. Listen, those of you who do work as the boss, you have the authority, you sit in that seat, you have power, but you now have a new standard of leadership. You, Jesus is the model. So in the same way, live in his way. In the same way that you see Jesus lead, live in his way. And we see Jesus, how he submitted to the Father. He had all power and glory, but was willing to make himself a servant. So his way was that of submission, of humility. His way was that with a towel and a basin, as we've talked about. He came to serve. And what do we often say here at New City? We say, what do leaders do? Leaders serve. The call here is to lead others Christ-like, not culture-like. And again, in the culture of that day, it was all about, hey, lord it over those. You have the authority. You can do whatever you want. You can treat them however you want. And Jesus teaches us in Mark 10, hey, that's not the way of my people. We lead in the way and with the love of Jesus. We now see our role, our responsibility, and every relationship through this new lens that Jesus now shapes the way I serve others, even those who I lead. But the continued challenge an encouragement to you and to eyes. How do we continue to lead in such a way where your servanthood to Christ is on display? And it does take a perspective change. It takes in every moment I enter into a scene, every moment I walk into work, if I'm leading my team or if I'm leading some, some initiatives, it takes these daily reminders that I am called to serve. They are people. I'm called to see broader than just the task or the work. I'm called to see the Lord may be at work around them or in them. And the last thing I'll say to bosses and leaders about this verse is that this verse makes plain that you also have a master. You have the same master that those under you have. And he doesn't play favorites. And so as I heard one person say this week, in essence, we're all in middle management. Christ is above and there's this clear side of vision for us to, to Christ, too, as our master. And so that's the phrase of this, this, this section is, I lead as a servant of Christ. And I like that phrase because it shows the way we serve as a servant. But it also is this reminder that if I can really, really embrace that, it reminds me that I, too, as a servant, that means I have a master. And I need to live in that way.
a living for Christ at home and at work with every relationship and realm that I'm placed. That's the call. And I hope that as you think about these two primary addresses today, that you're challenged that you're challenged to allow Christ to reign in you and, and in those areas. And so if you look, look back at those phrases, I wonder what area the Lord has challenged you in the most this morning, what the one he's maybe pricking you in your spirit with. Is it in your home, maybe as a, with your children, with your parents? How does Christ shape those relationships as you bow back into them today? Or is it in your workplaces? your supervisor or your boss or your teammates? How does Christ shape the way you walk back into those environments whenever you do, whether it's this week or this afternoon? Jesus wants to live in our home and at our work, and let's, let's invite him to do so. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Thank you, guys. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you don't leave us on our own. You guide and direct us. You point us to, to, to your ways. And we do need your help. We do need your grace. We do need your mercy. But God, I would pray that as we walk into these places and as we walk out of this place today, that you'd allow us to have this idea that, hey, there's no more gap. I, you've called to live and reign in every area of, of my life. So, oh God, we give you that today. We surrender to you. And we pray all this in Christ's name.